As you leave the city of Neverwinter and head north along the Sword Coast, you come across the quaint village of Deerward. It's a small village full of people who are quite content to live their quiet lives, avoiding everything that has to do with the adventures of Neverwinter, except for their money. Here in this town, you find the buildings are dilapidated and yet homey. You also find a tavern owned by an old dwarf named Madmeal Pebblearmor and his halfling friend Torin Bilberry. There's a small sign hanging from it in the shape of a goat head. Written around it is the name the Waiting Horn Tavern. As you enter, they find that they have a fine selection of ales, along with a basic menu of foods aimed at helping a weary traveler with a few gold or copper to spare. There are several booths around the sides of the room, a few scattered tables around the middle, and the bar itself is at the head of the room where the kegs of ale are tapped and ready for the barkeep. Torrin Bilberry to pour into your tanker. There's a door to the left that heads back into the kitchen. And as you, young traveler, enter the bar, you see a pair of adventurers sitting in a booth off the right side of the bar. And the older of them waves you over and invites you to sit and pushes a tankard of ale in front of you. Ah, I see you got my note, he says and you found your way to the tavern. I bet you were wondering why you were here. But then again, perhaps not. This is a very particular place that attracts a particular crowd. Most of those are about to enter an adventure like you are, or they just have the need for a good ale. This here is your beginning of a great adventure into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Come. Come, weary traveler, sit a while, while we share with you the secrets and tales of the worlds you can find and experience through the magic of storytelling, through the voice of me, your dungeon master, and players in this game. Ah, welcome traveler, welcome back to the Waiting Horn Tavern. It is now time for class. Now, now talking about classes in school, and we're not talking about class as in high society either. I remember from last week, we talked about the different races that are inside of D&D, and this is only one small piece of what it takes to create a character. The class that we speak of is actually something that is going to be determining some of the special things about your character. They'll have a basic description of them, the type of person that they are, like I said, very basic. It's also going to tell your, your primary ability that you have with that character, what saving throw proficiencies that you have, if you have any armor and weapon proficiencies, and it will also tell you what kind of hit die you will be using, which will be determining how much health or hit points that you have. Now, we're going to be going in order with these of what is in the player's handbook. We're going to go over the basics of them first, and then we're going to go from there into some more detail on them. And this portion here will actually be split up into probably about three, maybe even four episodes, because we still want to throw in the time for the questions and answers, and also the playtime, which we have actually have a special treat for this one. I'll tell you that at the end, once we get past all the educational stuff first. Now, the classes that are available to you inside D&D, once again, this is in order according to the player handbook, which also tends to be, oddly enough, in alphabetical order. So you have the Barbarian, the Bard, the Cleric, the Druid, the Fighter, the Monk, the Paladin, the Ranger, the Rogue, Sorcerer, the Warlock, and the Wizard. Now, you also find that there are some what are called homebrew classes that are out there, and there are other classes that come in in other adventure books and other 
types of books that are out there that are part of the D&D lore and part of canon for D&D. But this is just the basic portion that we're going through right here of what you'll find in the basic rules and in the basic player handbook that you can get quite easily and usually cheaply if not free. And we're going to start off, like I said, with basic stuff. First off, with the Barbarian. Now, the Barbarian is a fierce warrior, usually having a primitive background, and they can enter into a Battle Rage. Now, that Battle Rage gives them certain abilities where they're able to be more proficient when it comes to certain saving throws, such as like the Strength saving throws, which is actually their saving throw proficiencies. Their primary ability is Strength, and their hit points, they actually are determined by using a 12-sided die die so you would actually roll that d12 and that will tell you how many hit points that you're starting off with and you gain another uh, hit die as you go up in levels now your armor weapon proficiencies you're usually proficient in light and medium armor shields simple and martial weapons and continuing on we have the bard the Bard is an inspiring magician whose power echoes the music of creation. These are usually ones that you'll have in uh, you know, the games you hear them singing a song, or you'll hear somebody talk, call it like, I give them bardic inspiration that helps somebody um, add a die to a roll that they just did. And that's because they're very charismatic. Their saving throws are in dexterity and charisma. They use a eight-sided die for their hit die though so that's a little bit more on the weaker side um, usually we'll see them standing back a little bit further not usually getting right up in the fight as much and as such they are then also proficient in light armor simple weapons hand crossbows but also long swords rapiers and short swords and so you, you actually see a lot of them using those uh rapiers and like the hand crossbows in a lot of the battle but these are your characters you can do with them as you want to make them however you want Always keep that in mind. This is just basics to give you an idea of what you can do and how you can build off of it to make what you want. Now moving on, we have the cleric, who's usually a priestly champion who will wield divine magic in service of a higher power. So usually they'll have like um, a god that they will serve. Like there's some that you'll have out there be um, more you know, good god, some bad god, but it's usually some higher power. Because in D&D in &D canon and lore, it's not just you know one god. There's actually many of them that are out there that you can play around with that have their own little things that they can and will do for you. And you can find out all about that canon and lore by just searching on the internet for that pretty darn easily. And their uh, saving throws are going to be in wisdom and charisma. Their main strength, though, is wisdom. So like when they cast a spell, usually it is their wisdom score that actually is used for that one. And they're usually pretty proficient in light and medium armor, shields, and simple weapons. And then you have the Druid. Now, Druid is usually a priest of what's called the Old Faith, and you can find all about that you know, online pretty easily. And they wield the power of nature, moonlight, plant growth, fire, lightning, and also adopting animal forms. Uh, they use intelligence and wisdom for their saving throws the proficiencies and wisdom is their main strength and they're usually proficient in light medium armor non-metal for those ones non-metal shields clubs daggers darts javelins maces quarterstaffs scimitars sickles slings and spears and them and the cleric i forgot to mention this one they actually both use the eight-sided die at d8 for their hit points and then we get into some of our martial combat type characters here we have our fighter they're a master usually of martial combat skilled in a variety of weapons and armor their saving throw proficiencies are in strength and constitution their main strengths though it would be strength or dexterity and their proficiencies are usually all armor shields simple and martial weapons and they're also another one can take a lot of damage because they use a d10 for their hit points and for the monk, another master of martial arts, they harness the power of the body in pursuit of physical and spiritual perfection. Their saving throw proficiencies would be in strength and dexterity. Their main strengths are dexterity and wisdom. And they are usually proficient in simple weapons, short swords, and they use a d8 for their 
hit points. And then you have the Paladin, usually a holy warrior bound to a sacred oath. So you'll have that oath that you swore that you were bound to it. And if you ever break it, then you are an Oathbreaker Paladin. That's a whole different little like subclass type thing you can look into. It's actually pretty interesting for storyline. And their saving throw proficiencies would be Wisdom and Charisma. Main strengths would be Strength and Charisma. And they're usually proficient in all armor, shields, simple and martial weapons. And they use that wonderful D10 for their hit points. Just like the Ranger, who also uses the D10. They're a warrior who uses martial prowess and nature magic to combat threats on the edges of civilization. And once again, they use the strength and dexterity saving throw proficiencies. And dexterity and wisdom are usually their strength stats. Now, light and medium armor and shields are what they're proficient in, as well as simple and martial weapons. And then we have the rogue. Rogue is a scoundrel who usually uses stealth and trickery to overcome obstacles and enemies. They're usually very dexterous and intelligent, and that's why that's their saving throw proficiencies. And their main stat is normally dexterity. And they're usually proficient in light armor, simple weapons, hand crossbows, long swords, rapiers, and short swords. And they have that wonderful D8 for their hit points. Now we get into our main spellcasters. You have the sorcerer who draws on inherent magic from a gift or bloodline. Charisma is their main stat. That's what they actually usually pull uh, for their, uh, uh, be able to cast their spells. Constitution and Charisma are their saving throw proficiencies, and they use daggers, darts, slings, quarterstaffs, and light crossbows as their proficient weapons. Then you have the D6 for their hit points. So lower hit points, so they usually are standing back in the fight and they're usually slinging their spells in from there. Usually not going to be right up in an enemy's face all that often because they are so squishy. And then you have the Warlock, who's a wielder of magic that they'd actually derive usually from a bargain with some other extraplanar entity. So they don't usually have magic they've learned as being like a scholar or have it be part of their bloodline. They made a deal with somebody and said, hey, I'll give you my service if you give me magic. And their saving throw proficiencies are wisdom and charisma. Their strong stat would be charisma. And they're usually proficient in light armor and simple weapons. And the D8 is how they get their hit points. And now we come to the wizard, who's the scholarly magic user capable of manipulating the structures of reality and usually also has to have their spell book in order to actually have their uh, spells. And their saving throw proficiencies is intelligence and wisdom. Intelligence being the main stat, that's actually the one that you'd use for your spell casting ability. And then they have, for the, their proficiencies for weapons and armor, it would be daggers, darts, slings, quarterstaffs, and light crossbows. Pretty much anything that they can stand back and be able to attack from a distance in order to be able to deal quick damage with like with the quarterstaff. And they use a D6 for their wonderful hit point stats. And now, let's get into a little bit more details here. And now we're only gonna cover, you know, a handful of these, not a whole lot. So we're gonna start off once again at the beginning with the Barbarian. So as a Barbarian, you have the following class features, okay? For hit points, like I said, you have one D12 per Barbarian level for your hit dice. So for every level, you would then roll that d12 and then add that to your hit <laughs> hit points or just add 12 depends on how you're going to work it with your dm some dms will sit there and say roll it at that so will say you get a whole d12 per level and your hit points at first level is going to be 12 plus your constitution modifier so when you picked up all your stats all those numbers for those stat blocks you're going to take your constitution modifier add that to the 12 and then and you get your hit points at higher levels, you either roll the d12, or you can just do like a, an average number, which would be seven or normally, or just the 12. Again, work it out with your DM, and then you add your constitution modifier to that. And once again, your proficiencies, you're proficient in the light armor, the medium armor, and shields for your armor. Weapons is like very simple weapons, you know, hand axes, things like that, martial weapons. You're usually not proficient in any tools, and your saving throws, your strong ones there would be strength and constitution. Now you do get to pick from some skills to actually have proficiency in those. 
and you can choose two. And that would be like animal handling, athletics, intimidation, nature, perception, and survival. Now you combine this with the race that you pick and you can actually get more proficiencies. You'll see that actually when you pick out all your these things when you do your race, followed by your class. And when you pick your class, you also pick your starting equipment. You can pick either to have equipment or money. If you pick to have money, then you have to go buy your equipment, like your weapons, your armor, things like that, right from the beginning. If that's an option for you, that could be pretty handy, but it also depends on what kind of lifestyle that you are saying that you lived before you started adventuring, or you can pick equipment. I usually go and pick starting equipment, so then you can pick either like a great axe or any other martial melee weapon, two hand axes or any simple weapon, you can also then pick like an explorer's pack and four javelins. There's a bunch of different options in there for equipment, but you can actually just pick like starting equipment and it makes it really easy that way. So you're actually starting off pretty much ready to go, ready to jump right into a fight in case, just in case, that's what the DM has picked out for you guys. Now, here's the fun part. You can use what's called a bonus action when you're fighting with the barbarian and you can go into what's called rage. Now, in that, you're fighting with, like, primal ferocity. And when you're raging, you gain the following benefits, okay? If you aren't wearing heavy armor, okay? You have advantage on strength checks. So if the DM says, okay, to do that, I need you to roll a strength check. You take your D20, roll it twice, pick the higher number. That's what you get. You also have advantage on strength saving throws. Same thing. Roll that strength saving throw. Roll that D20 two times. Pick the better number. When you make a melee weapon attack using strength, you gain a bonus to the damage roll that increases as you gain levels as a barbarian, and it's shown in your rage damage column on your barbarian table, which is there in the player's handbook, and it should also be put onto your character sheet. Now, if you use D&D Beyond, it says it right inside there. At the time of this recording, for my bar barbarian, I have half-orc barbarian, and when I rage, I get a plus two damage bonus when I attack with a melee weapon. And you, when you're also raging, you also have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Downside to raging, though, you cannot cast any spells or concentrate on spells while raging. So if you cast a spell that takes uh, concentration and then you go into rage, you lose that concentration and that spell ends. Now, rage lasts for one minute, which is roughly about... 10 turns of combat, or if you're knocked unconscious, or if you haven't attacked a hostile creature uh, since your last turn, or taken damage since then. But you can also, as a bonus action, say, I end my rage. Now, you can only rage a certain number of times you know, during uh, combat before you cannot rage anymore until you take a long rest. Um, think that when you first start off with it, you can rage like once or twice before you actually have to take a long rest, but that does go up as you raise up in levels. Now, once again, once you've maxed out that rage, you have to take a long rest to reset it. Now, a long rest that is basically you're doing nothing strenuous or you're sleeping for like, you know, eight hours and you can work out your DM, you know, exactly what that means or how long and what activities you can do during a long rest. But once again, you have to take that long rest to get those rates back. Now, while you're not wearing any armor, your armor class, the AC number of saying how hard or easy it is for you to get hit, it's equal to 10 plus your dexterity modifier plus your constitution modifier. That's why you're not wearing any armor. Once you wear armor, then it's determined by that armor that you're wearing. But you can also use a shield and gain its benefit. So if you're not wearing armor and you do the 10, plus dexterity, plus constitution modifier. Add that shield on if you have the shield. Now there's a whole lot more information in the player's handbook about other barbarian aspects that you gain as you increase in levels. But in short, you can attack harder and move faster as you gain up in levels. You also gain other abilities depending on different paths that you can choose as you go up in levels. Like right now, my particular barbarian is doing like Path of the Ancestor. So when I go into a rage, I actually have ancestral guardians that come up that if I attack a creature, that a creature then has disadvantage on attacks against any of my companions. So it, you know, there's these really cool things that actually work out really well. And I have to do some, you know, a storyline of just what my character is all about. This actually works out really good for his background story. 
for having that path there. And something else you do that's kind of cool you can do, you can also do what's called multi-classing, but you can always just talk to your DM about that. And there's more information about it in the player's handbook as well. But you can actually take like levels of each class if possible, if you meet certain criteria. But that's a whole different story, a different discussion for a different time. And we're gonna move on now to the bard, the musical person of the group. Now for the bard, like I said, you get that D8 per bard level. And at first level, it's eight plus your constitution modifier. And then as you go up, same deal as with the barbarian, it's just you're doing the D8 instead of the D12. And your proficiencies, you're proficient in that light armor. And once again, for the weapons, it's the simple weapons, the hand crossbows, the long swords, the rapiers, the short swords. And you can then also be proficient in tools, which would be three musical instruments of your choice. Because the bard, they're the musician of the group, so they'll be sitting there, they'll be playing the lute, playing the drum, doing something that is going to help them actually, you know, basically bring some joy and merriment to the group. Now your savings throws. Once again, that's dexterity and charisma. And you can choose any three skills to be proficient in as well. And then for your equipment, once again, same thing. You can start with starting equipment or money. If you do the starting equipment, you would choose like a rapier, a longsword, or any simple weapon, one of the three. You then pick a diplomat's pack or an entertainer's pack. There's more information about each of these packs inside the book. And then you have a lute or any other musical instrument as well. That's something you can pick right there. You can also pick leather armor, or you also get leather armor and a dagger. That's the easy, boom, here's your starting pack of gear. And here's the fun part about the bards. You're also a spellcaster. So you've learned to untangle and reshape the fabric of reality in armor with your wishes and music, hence the musical instruments. Your spells are part of your vast repertoire, magic that you can tune different situations and if you want to take a look and see what those things are right there in the player's handbook time of this recording it is chapter 10 for your rules of spell casting but then it's chapter 11 for the bard spell list now there's two types of different spells you have here you have cantrips which do not take what's known as spell slots which means you can cast them pretty much as you want during your turn as an action during your combat which means you can cast one per turn but you don't have to have anything reset in order to actually take and cast them again if it's a cantrip and then you have ones that are spell slots now the bar table when you look inside the book will show you how many spell slots you have to cast your bar spells at first level and higher and to cast these you have to expend a spell slot which means you can say you have two spell slots you can cast two spells that's it and then you get those back after you take a long rest so like for an example here if you know first level spell cure wounds and you have a first level and second level spot uh, spell slot available you can cast cure wounds using either slot but once that slot is filled it's done now spells known to first level or higher you know four first level spells of your bard spell list and on there there's a spells known column on your bard table and when you learn more bard spells, you know, that's what they'll be is on that column thing right there. And each of these must be of a level of which you have spell slots. Now, for example, when you reach third level in bard, you can learn one new first class, first level or second level spell because you'll have first level spell slots and second level spell slots. And additionally, when you gain levels in this class, you can choose one of the bard spells you know and replace it with another spell. So you can change it out, but only at level up times. Now, your spell casting ability is gonna be, like I said before, your charisma. So your charisma score shows your spell casting ability. And your magic comes from the heart and soul because this is all about music, about oration, it's about your performance. So that's where the charisma comes in. Now you use your charisma whenever a spell refers to your spell casting ability. In addition, you use your charisma modifier when setting the saving throw DC for a bard spell. Like say a spell says that the creature has to you know, meet or beat this particular number, then what that would be would be the spell save DC is eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. So say your proficiency bonus is two and your charisma modifier is four, it's eight plus the six. And then that's gonna give you what the spell DC is. That's what that creature then has to beat, which would be a 14 or higher in order to save from the spell. 
Now your spell attack modifier is just your proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. So I'll say proficiency is two, charisma is four, your spell attack modifier is six. Now you have the option of when you're casting a spell to do ritual casting. Which means you can cast any bard spell you know as a ritual if it has that ritual attack. So you look on the spell itself and its description. If it says it can be cast as a ritual, you can cast it as ritual casting. And all this means is you don't have to use a spell slot to cast that spell if it can be cast as a ritual. Now you have your spell casting focus. So you have to have like a musical instrument you know, to be used as like your spellcasting focus is what this means. And you can also give other people bardic inspiration. You can inspire others through stirring words or music and use a bonus action to do so. And it has to be a creature or, you know, character or somebody who's within 60 feet of you who can hear you. And then that creature then gains a bardic inspiration die, which is a D6, which means they can then, once within the next 10 minutes, roll that die and add the number rolled to an ability check, attack roll, or saving throw. Now the creature there, they, they can actually wait until after it rolls the d20 before actually deciding to use the Bardic Inspiration die. They choose when they want to use it, but it has to be after they actually roll the initial d20. But they have to decide before DM says if it fails or succeeds. And once they roll that die, it is lost and gone, whether it succeeds or fails after they use it. So they can only have one Inspiration die at a time as well. Now you can use this feature as a number of times equal to your charisma modifier a minimum of one time and you regain any expended uses of the bardic inspiration after a long rest basically the bardic inspiration is kind of like the barbarian rage but you use it to benefit somebody else so they can then get that little extra benefit there now your inspiration die changes when you reach certain levels in the class so the die becomes a different die at different levels so like fifth level it becomes a d8 instead of a d6 at it 10th level is a d10 and at 15th level becomes a d12 and once again there's more level up possibilities the possible multi-classing you know everything it's all in the player's handbook and you can talk to your dm about that but right now we're just going over the basics and we have time to do one more before we actually switch over to doing the fun stuff and of course that one that we're going to go over now would be the cleric now is the cleric Again, you use that D8 for your uh, hit points, and it's the same thing as before. It's 8 plus your constitution modifier at first level, and it's 8 in the D8 or 5 plus your constitution modifier for every cleric level after first level. Now, proficiencies for your armor, again, light armor, medium armor, shields. Weapons is just simple weapons, you know, like a mace, things like that. It's something very simple. You don't actually start off with any tool proficiencies, um, but your saving throws, you know, they are the wisdom and charisma skills and for proficiency in actual skills themselves, you can choose two, history, insight, medicine, persuasion, or religion. You pick two of those and those become proficiencies that you have in those. Now for your equipment, you choose the starting equipment, you can start off with a mace or a warhammer, you know, if proficient, if, you know, with that one. You can then for armor, you can be scale mail, leather armor, or chain mail, if proficient. Those of you choosing proficiency in like heavy armor type thing right there. Then you have a light crossbow and 20 bolts or any other simple weapon. You then choose a priest pack or explorer's pack, a shield, and a holy symbol. And then for your spell casting, this is where it gets kind of fun here too, you can cast cleric spells because you are a conduit for divine power. Now, once again, chapter 10 for the rule of spell casting, chapter 11 for your spell list. You have cantrips, you have spells that you can then actually prepare and cast. If you look on the cleric table in that spell table there, it'll show you how many spell slots you have to cast as a cleric. In the cast one of them, once again, you got to expel one of your spell slots. Now you've prepared the list of cleric spells that are available to you to cast, choosing from the cleric spell list. When you do so, make sure you choose a number of cleric spells equal to your wisdom modifier plus your cleric level. So if your wisdom modifier is 2 and you're a level 1, then you get 3 spells. And the spells must be of a level of which you have spell slots for them. So you can't choose a fourth level spell if you don't have any fourth level spell slots. Okay, so if you're like a third level cleric, you can have four first level spells, two second level spells. And with wisdom of 16, your prepared list can include six spells of first or second level in any combination. So if you've prepared first level cure wounds, you can cast it using a first or second count. 
you know, level spell slots, and casting it does not remove it from your list of prepared spells, but you can only cast it if you have a spell slot open. And you can change your list of prepared spells when you finish a long rest. So you rest up, you can then change that list of prepared spells that you have ready to go, so you can then have them ready for combat. Now preparing a new list of cleric spells requires time spent in prayer and meditation, so you can roleplay this with the DM, but it's usually at least one minute per spell level for each spell on your list. You actually prepare it and make it so it's ready to be cast. Prepared means ready to be cast. Remember that one. Be kind of key when you go into actual combat and everything. Now your spell casting ability is your wisdom score. The power from your spells comes from your devotion to your deity. And you use your wisdom whenever you are going to be casting that spell. So in addition, you use it as part of your saving throw DC. So spell save DC, 8, plus your proficiency bonus, plus your wisdom modifier. Your attack modifier is your proficiency bonus, plus your wisdom modifier. So just like the uh, uh, bard, but it's wisdom instead of charisma. And you can also do ritual casting if that spell has a ritual tag. And your holy symbol is your spell casting focus for your cleric. Now, tune in next week. We're going to be covering a few more of these, probably about three or four more. But now it's time for our question and answer time. So one question we've had so far is, how many campaigns am I actually involved in? I've talked about just one, in fact, right now. Uh, answer to that one is technically active campaigns right now. It's just one, but there is a few one-shots that have been going on recently and there's also a new campaign that's starting up which we may record that one for use here in the podcast we don't know yet i still have to find out more and get permission from people on that one but we'll see uh the other question is is what DD podcasts or groups do i like to listen to and honestly there's not too many that i actually really sit down and listen to Currently, like when I'm driving to and from work, I listen to Dungeon Dads, which they're awesome. They're funny. Um, definitely not for kids to be in the car, though, for them. I'll tell you that much right now. But there's also the um, Acquisitions Incorporated team. I like to listen to them. I listen to them usually while I'm at work. But then there's a few other ones. They're just, you know, fun ones I just catch here and there. Um, but another one that I actually like listening to, and I try to actually catch them online on their Twitch, I do try. That is actually Carney's Sideshow. Uh, they actually have the Misty Step campaign, which if they want me to and are cool with it, which I'm pretty sure they would be, I'll actually uh, put their uh, link for their YouTube into the description of one of these podcasts so you guys can check them out because they're actually a lot of fun. Um, it's a group of friends. They're actually all over the world, and they get in, and they do actually really fun and uh, you know, good storylines that actually draw you in and actually make you want to know more of what's going on. I wish they actually had more than Misty Step on their YouTube right now because I actually had to play catch up on them quite a bit because I kind of missed some of their uh, live streams. So I'm kind of behind in the story, which kind of sucks. But that's the end of our question and answer time. And we're actually moving over into the game time portion of things now, which we actually have a little change in plans. We were originally going to be having a one-shot that we were going to record, but it ended up not happening. So instead, it is going to be me playing with my son, who is actually rather new to the game. But you'll see, he actually did pretty darn good, as we have Rupert going to be diving back into the crypt. And without further ado, enjoy. All right, welcome back everybody to the Waiting Horn Tavern game time. Now the microphone and everything sounds a little different this time around because we're actually playing in a different location because Rupert Ashwick, upon his return to the Waiting Horn Tavern after having suffered a defeat at the hands of what he is now termed to be Napoleon Boney Pants, he has decided to enlist the aid of another adventurer he has found waiting at the tavern. This adventurer was sitting in one of the booths off on the right-hand side of the tavern, just nursing a drink of some sort. We're not quite sure which one it is, but it wasn't too strong because this adventurer wanted to keep his wits about him, waiting for someone to come and offer him a job. 
And now we'll be joining Rupert Ashwick and Christopher Burke as they attempt to enter the crypt and solve the mysteries inside. Now, just so everybody knows, D&D is meant for all ages. So I am actually here playing with my son here tonight, who happens to be a little bit on the younger side, but this is his first time doing a recorded session of the game, so mm-hmm. we're going to have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. So, now, to set the stage here, we have you and Rupert. You're standing mm-hmm. outside the entrance of this abandoned crypt that the mm-hmm. scholar of Holland had told you about. Mm-hmm. Now, you see tracks in the mud, there's tracks going down into the crypt, there's tracks coming up out of the crypt, and they're mostly unidentifiable to you, but Rupert has told you that these are actually skeleton prints. He knows this because he came up against the skeleton when he went inside. So Rupert, he decides, you know, we're just going to go right on in. He walks down into the crypt. So Christopher, do you choose to follow him? Yes. Okay, so you go down the stairs into the first room. And you see Rupert, he's standing there kind of in the center of the room waiting for you to come in. You see cobwebs coming down from the roof. The floor stones of this small room, they're mossy, they're slightly damp. You see some grass growing in between the cobblestones. Now, Rupert's already checked out this room, but you see three things in here. You see the the rusted metal gates leading outdoors right behind you. There's a broken crate sitting on the floor near the middle of the room. And you have the wooden door on the far side that's slightly ajar. So, Rupert, he's just standing, he's waiting for you, but what do you choose to do? I choose to go to the crate and open it. Okay, you're going to go and try to open and examine the crate? Mm-hmm. Alright, so how about you give me a perception check? So go ahead and roll your dice for a perception. That would be a... That would be a six. Seven? Plus one, seven. Mm-hmm. All right, so you look inside this chest here. You do not see anything of value inside of that chest. As you look around the room there, though, you do see Rupert. He's actually heading straight towards that wooden door that is slightly ajar. I'm going to follow Rupert. All right, so then Rupert walks over, and you see him. He's just slowly pushing that door open, and he glances back at you real quick, and this little glare in his eye just looks at you. This room right here, this is the room that Skelton got me. You must be careful. He might still be inside. I don't know if Mr. Bony Pants is still around or not. <laughs> and he slowly starts going to peek around the door there. But Rupert, before you go in there, I want you to roll me a check. I want you to roll me a perception check. Oh, fine then. Perception, you said. I got a 10. Okay, well, Rupert, you actually do not hear anything on the other side of that door. Ah, I know he was in there. That was, that was exactly where he was. There was a couple of rats in there, and then there's that stupid skeleton. Oh, Christopher, maybe you have better ears than me. How about you take a listen? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All right, Rupert. so, Christopher, go ahead. Go ahead and roll that perception check yourself there. That would be 11 plus 1? I got a 12. Okay, well, Christopher, when you put your ear to that door, you hear nothing at all. Sounds like the room ahead of you is actually empty. Hmm, I'm gonna head inside. Hmm, that could be a good thing. So then Rupert actually pushes the door fully open and you see, as you walk in, two little mounds of just like goo on the ground right there. And Rupert just looks over and smiles. See that there? That was a rat. I smashed the last time I was in here. Took my mace. <laughs> he was obliterated by my hand, by my mace. Until Rupert's actually very proud of this fact here. So the rats have already been dealt with. You don't have to worry about the rats that are in here. But there is, near the other side of the room, is a pile of bones with a rusty sword, some tattered leather armor, and there's a pedestal on the far side of the room where there's actually a bronze memorial urn sitting on top of it. Mm-hmm. Christopher, be careful of that urn. I came here before, that thing zapped me. I ended up chucking it across the room, 
that's when bony pets came out. Careful of that thing. So Rupert, what did you want to do this time? Uh, yeah, I want to inspect that on this time. No, I won't touch it quite yet. Just want to inspect it. Alright then, just go ahead and roll me perception check for it then, Rupert. Alright then. That there would be 13. Alright. Well, as you look closely at the urn, you notice tiny arcane letters having curved, carved around the front of the urn, over its lid, down the back again. This arcane writing looks a little out of place to you. Hmm. You would think I'm gonna try to check out that writing there. Let's do an arcana check. Now, Rupert, it's actually for me to tell you what kind of check you want to do here. But you're right, you should do an arcana check. Okay. And that would be 14. Mm, it's not quite enough to do that there, but you do sense that this urn is magical. Christopher, mm -hmm. how about you? How would you try an arcana check? Mm, Rupert, once again, I'm supposed to be the one who tells people to do that. Fine then. But I'll let you slide this time. Christopher, go ahead. Roll me an arcana check. That would be a 17 plus. That would be a 19 total. Yes. You detect something here. You actually do this check. You know that the pile of bones and the urn are both magical. You, you can see that they're both also the same color of magical aura. Okay. And because of that, you know mm -hmm. that they're linked. So if you do something with one, something's going to happen with the other. Mm. Ah, I get it now. I threw that gun. That's why bony pants came around. I suggest we leave it alone. Because mm. I don't think that we should actually mess with either one. What do you think? Hmm. Hmm. Do you think we should mess with the urn, or do you think we should leave it alone? Hmm. Comes to think of it, Rupert, I think we should try to, um, connect the the bones to the other magical thing. Well, the bones are on the floor, the urn is on the top of the pedestal here. You can't connect them. Hmm. Are you, are you wanting to move them bones? Is that what you want to do? Hmm. I was thinking, Rupert, you could, um, pick up the thing over there. Don't throw it. Put it on the bones. Want me to pick up the urn again? Yeah. And don't throw it. Okay? Don't throw it, Rupert. Don't throw it this time because watch out for bone pants. If I pick this thing up, I want you to be ready to attack. I'm pretty sure bony pants is going to come out again. Okay. Okay, so what do you do, Rupert? I guess the plan is I'm going to go and pick up this stupid urn again. Walk over and I'm just pick it up. Okay, well, as you grasp the urn, a small magical charge runs through your arms, giving you a tingling sensation. And you notice that behind you, Bony Pants has risen up from the ground. Bone All right, so now I want you both to roll initiative for me. Okay. So Rupert gets a 17. I get a four. Christopher got a four, and the skeleton has rolled theirs. All right, Rupert, you are up first. All right, so I am going to turn around and I'm going to attack it with my mace. That's gonna be, give me nine plus three. You give me a 12. Alrighty, so 12 on the skeleton. That is a miss. Darn it. Why would it be that? Why are you, why are you doing this to me again? Don't look at me, it's not my fault. So, it is now the skeleton's turn. So the skeleton, he is looking around the room. He sees, he has Rupert in front of him. And he has this glimmer of recognition. You hear this like chattering of bones coming from him. But he also happens to notice over on this other side, this new person he can attack. So he's actually gonna pull out his short bow and he's going to attack Christopher. And he is going to roll an 18. So Christopher does that hit. 
That's a hit. All right. He is going to do four damage to you. <laughs> okay, that is the skeleton's turn. He is not going to back up or anything. He's going to actually stay right where he is. But that means it is now Christopher's turn to attack. Hmm. So I'm going to use, you choose my, to use my crossbow, which is a plus two to hit. Okay, so roll your d20 there. A 14 plus 2. That would be a 16. And that does hit. So go ahead, roll your damage. That would be 8 damage. You 8 damage to him. This skeleton is now bloodied. Rupert, it is now your turn. Ah, time to finish him off. The skeleton will not beat me again. I will choose to attack again, once again, with my mace. Be a 19 plus 3. Yes! That's going to be glorify 22 to hit. That definitely does hit. So, Rupert, go ahead and roll your dice for that damage. That's going to be 4 damage to him. Alright, 4 damage. Oh, he is not looking good at all. He, You have him on the ropes now. But it is that skeleton's turn. He is mad at you, Rupert. He is going to attack you with his short sword. That is an eight that he rolled. Ah! Dodge out of the way. Misses. Complete whiff right by. Doesn't do anything at all. Yes! Alright. So, that is the end of his turn. He glares right at you. Christopher? Shattering. This wobbling of the bones. And it is now... Christopher's turn. Christopher, what do you choose to do? I'm gonna use my my pike. All right, so you're gonna you're gonna walk up a little bit closer to him. Your pike has yeah yeah. So you get within about ten feet of him. Right now you're about fifteen feet away. So you're gonna walk up about five feet to him. Yeah. All right. And then I'm gonna use my pike. Okay, so go ahead and roll to hit, and it's plus five to hit with that pike. A three plus five, that would be an eight, which probably misses. That does miss. Oh! He is probably super mad Even though he is badly hurt, he just ducks out of the way, and you see the the pike just fly right past his side, and he laughs and his chattering of bones once again emanates out of him. But it is now Rupert's turn. I, I, I am mad at you. I've got it for you. Okay. Roll your attack with my mace again. That is a natural 20. That is a critical hit. Rupert, go ahead. With that right there, you're going to roll that damage twice. You're going to give him as much damage as you can. Two, five, three, and six. It's going to be nine damage. Mm. With nine damage. Rupert, tell me, how do you want to end this skeleton? I'll take my mace and swing it like a baseball bat right to the head and home right across the room. Skeleton flying. <laughs> it's a great mental image, I have to admit that. That was, that was nice. You go and you go, wind up the swing. Do you say anything to the skeleton? Of course I do. Say, Mr. Bonnie Pants, <laughs> time to meet your maker again. And then you swing the mace, clean connect with the head of the skeleton, and you just see the head fly across <laughs> the room, and the rest of the bones just clatter to the floor. So, you have now defeated Bonnie this Pants. skeleton. Mr. Bonnie Pants is no longer underneath where the skeleton had been. You find a pouch, and it's containing 70 gold pieces. Hmm, I'm going to split the pieces in half. Rupert gets some, and I get mm-hmm. some. Well, we'll hold off on that till the, the, the end. So we'll go ahead and we'll put that pouch, those gold pieces, in its... you want to carry it, or do you want Rupert to carry it? Hmm, I'll carry it. Okay, so Rupert grudgingly hands them over to you. Thank you. I better get what's coming to me with that gold. Okay. i am got to pay off my time here with the tavern. Okay, and mm-hmm. 
So, is there from anything? that room there, mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. two wooden doors. Mm -hmm. You have one that is over on from where you're at. You know, when you first came in, it was straight ahead of you. You have the other one that is on the far side of the room, about 40 feet away from you, off on the left. I'm gonna move to the door. So you want to go to the, the the far door? Yeah. All right. And, and, and then and then I'm cre gonna crack it open a little bit, and then I'm gonna listen for anything. Okay. Well, you can't crack the door open. Why? Is it locked? Because the door is locked. Hmm. I'm gonna try on, so, and unlock it. You wanna try unlocking it? Yeah. Okay. You wanna listen to it first? You wanna unlock it first? Cause you said you did wanna listen. Um. Yeah. I'm gonna listen. Okay. Go ahead and roll me a perception check. Uh, and that would be a 12. 12? Mm-hmm. All right. You hear skeletal footsteps on the other side of the door. I'm not going to try to unlock it. Uh, so you want to go to the other door? I'm I'm going to go to the other door and listen to, to the other one. Okay. Well, so you go to that door. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and roll me a perception check on that door. That would be a 17. Okay. You hear nothing behind the door. Nothing. Nothing. I'm gonna open it. Is it locked? Now, with your 17, though, mm -hmm. you have found that that door has a trap on it. It does? Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna try and open that door. Well, you can try to deactivate the trap, or you can deactivate. try to deactivate. open it. And... Deactivate. Okay, go ahead and roll me Only a sleight of hand check. Sleight of hand. 13, which is a 13. That one? Success. You've actually deactivated that trap. Nice. So you want to go through that door? Listen. Well, you already listened to it. There's nothing There's nothing on the other side of it. Is it locked? No, I just had that trap that you disarmed. Okay, just in case. I'm gonna... Just in case there's a monster behind there. I am just going to... Um, pull out my crossbow. Just okay. in case. Goober comes up behind you. You heard nothing inside that room, though. Are you being prepared for monsters there? You yeah. never know. There might be a monster. Be quiet as can be. You never know. Rupert just walks past you, pushes the door open, and walks inside. Hmm. So as you walk inside into the room there, mm -hmm. you see you've entered a small room. It's only about maybe 15 foot long, about 10 foot wide. And along one wall is a row of eight coffins. Hmm. And on the far end, there's a small, old wooden box. Hmm. I'm gonna go over to the small wooden box. Okay, the box is old, and the hinges are rusted. You see a simple lock on the front that's badly rusted. Uh, and I'm going to see if it's a trap or not. Okay, go ahead and roll me a perception check then. Uh, that would be an 11. Okay. You see that the old box is not trapped. Okay. I'm going to uh, open it. No, let me do this one. Let me try. I, I need one to try opening this box up. Okay. Let me roll my... Go ahead. Check here. What, what do I need to do to open this box mm. up? Go ahead and roll me a sleight of hand. I know sleight of hand is your wheelhouse here. Ah, that's a 17 plus 4. 21. Alright. So you successfully are able to pick the lock... And the lock falls to the ground. Okay. Well, I'm gonna look inside it, of course. Pop open the lid and look inside. You look inside that box there, nothing too special. You find 300 silver and a potion of healing. I mean, nothing special. Some good stuff right there. And I'm going to take the healing potion. Yeah, hand the healing potion over to you. And you're gonna choose to drink it, or are you going to. Wait, I'm gonna wait until battle, and and how many silver are there? It was 300 silver. 300. Okay, Rupert, I'm going to share this silver with you. Well, just hold on to it for now. Okay. Just make sure I get okay. what's coming to me later, that's all I ask. If so as you look around this room, there's nothing else of interest or use inside this room. Well, what about the other stuff? There's a row of eight coffins. Okay, so Rupert, you take four and I take four. Let's see what happens. 
Pull out your mace if anything go, happens. Go ahead, roll me that perception check again. Right, do an investigation on this one. In- investigation? I got a 16. That is it plus 2? I got a hmm, 11 plus 2. That would be a 13. Okay. All you find is some human remains, nothing special, nothing in them. Human remains? No skeletons attacking, nothing at all. Okay, so... So, Rupert and you know, he just looks around the room. There's nothing left in here. He walks out the room and he heads over to the other door that you had checked out earlier. Um, and I call out to Rupert, Rupert, don't open that door. You don't know what's behind it. Now, pull out your mace. And I'm going to pull out my pike. <laughs> and Rupert just kind of just waves you off. I'm to unlock this door. Okay, Rupert, if you say so, pull out your mace, so, too, and I'm coming with you with my short sword. Roll your sleight of hand, Rupert. That would be... Five. I'm gonna try. So that that means you fail at unlocking the door. I'll try. Go ahead, roll roll your sleight of hand check, then. That would be a nine, which probably does not do it. No, it does not. Wait, I'm gonna give it one more try. That'd be a 13 plus 4. Success. The door is now unlocked. Hmm. And since you had actually listened to the door and you heard those skeletal footsteps, you should actually probably wait for the mess. Rupert, wait, wait, wait. You're right. We should wait. I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait until I hear the footsteps as far away from this door as possible. Hey, Rupert, go ahead. Roll me that perception check. B and 11. And 11. Okay. So, you wait until the footsteps are the f- as far away as you can barely hear them anymore. I creak open the door and I step into the room. Okay, you step into the room and you find yourself in a long hallway. Mm. So you're at the end of the corridor and it branches off at the end to the left and the right. And at the intersection of the corridor, stands a Gravehound. The Gravehound right now is facing east and does not notice you. You have the first attack on it. Hmm. Uh, Let's roll? I'm going to... Roll for initiative. No, not yet. You actually have the ability to take your first attack. I'm going to attack it with my crossbow. Okay. That's going to be a 23 to hit. Okay, 23 definitely hits. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna roll my damage now. Oh, go ahead. That's gonna be a 5 damage. Okay. So, Rupert's taking his turn. Grishford, go ahead and take yours. Crossbow. Okay, go which ahead. Which is plus 2. My, that would be a 6, which probably just. That misses. It goes right by him. Okay, so right now we are now in. In initiative, go ahead and roll initiative for me. Four. I got a four and an initiative plus zero equals four. Okay. I got four again. So now it is the hound's chance to attack. And he is going to use his awesome speed of 40 feet. This wasn't me. Yep, and he is going to rush across the room to you and he is actually going to do a bite attack on Rupert. <gasps> Rupert, are you okay? That is going to be a 16 to hit. Ah! That hits. Hey, Rupert, he is going to now deal you 5 damage. Oh, no! Oh, that hurt. That hurt a lot. Oh, uh, and I'm going to give Rupert the healing potion. Here, That's Rupert. not your turn yet. Well, it is now Rupert's turn to attack. Well, since he is right here by me, I'm going to see if I can do anything special. Nah, I can't do anything special here. So me. think. Yes, I'm going to do Sacred Flame. So he has to succeed in a dexterity saving throw. He'll take the damage. Alright. He gets a 12 on that. Darn it! No damage on that. Okay, it is now going to be Christopher's, Christopher's turn. And, and and the first thing I'm gonna 
throw Rupert the healing potion. Here, Rupert, heal up, and then I'm going to um, so use my Rupert, Since he's throwing crossbow. you the healing potion, Rupert needs to roll a dexterity check and see if he can actually catch that. Rupert, catch it, catch it. Come on, you can do it, Rupert. And going to be a 12. So you see the bottle come flying through the air, and it lands under your hands when you try to juggle it, and it drops, and you're barely able to catch it. So, Rupert, you can use that on your next turn. You can't use it quite yet. Christopher? I was going to use... Wait, it is... I'll give, I'll um, give, I'll give you that toss in, the hope potion as a free action, so you can go ahead and try to attack. Hmm. Is um the hound in range of my short sword? He is pretty much right in front of you. Okay. I'm going to use that. It's plus five to hit. Fourteen to hit. And that does hit. Go ahead and roll your damage. That would be a five plus what? Plus three, so that'd be eight damage to the dog there. Yes, yes. That's what my ninja is. This this hound is now looking bloodied. Bloodied, yeah. It is now its turn. It's looking over at you. It is not happy happy with you right now. So it is going to do a bite attack on you. And that is a six to hit. Which Does a six hit you? No, I I have a armor class of sixteen. So the dog leaves, lunges in to bite you, and you just definitely dodge out of the way and say, "Nope, bad boy, down boy." Yeah, I'm. I'm and like, it is now go Rupert's turn. Well, I'm going to drink that potion. Okay, that potion there. You get two d four plus two, three, six. So that's gonna. Give me eight healing. Okay, you're back up to full, and that right there would be your action for this turn. That goes up now to Christopher's turn. Ooh, okay. I'm going to use my, hmm, unarmed strike. Okay, so you're going to drop your sword and... and No, 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 I'm putting my sword away, and then taking my arm, I'm going to smash him. So you're going to punch the dog... Okay, so we have plus five to hit. That so nope, that does seven. not hit. That is a miss. Oh. It is now the hound's turn. And he saw you try to attack him again, but he's got these two tasty morsels in front of him. And he says in his mind, I'm going to go and eat one of them. So I'm going to roll, go ahead and roll a d4 here. See which one he attacks. And he's going to attack Rupert. <gasps> Rupert! And that would be a 21 to hit. Hits. Which is going to be 5 damage to Rupert. Oof. Oh, that hurts again. I just lost all the healing I just got. Back down to what I was. Now, the good thing is that right there is the dog's turn. So Rupert is now back to you. Time to end this. I'm going to use my mace on this bloody animal. Well, you're right. He is bloodied, so that does work. Go ahead and roll for the hit. That's going to be an eight. And that does not hit. Eight misses. Christopher. That's me the end of your turn. That's all I can do. Stupid dog is in front of me like this. Okay, now going to be Christopher's turn. Christopher, what first, are you going to do? First, I'm going to say to the hound, Bad doggy, you're so stupid. And, th- and then I'm going to say, Hey doggy, I'm going to use my pike. Which is plus five. Hey, hey. So you pull your pike out and go ahead and roll a hit. A 15 plus five. That would be a that natural 20. Not a natural 20, that is a dirty 20. Dirty so go ahead and roll. It's going to be a d10 plus three. A d10 plus three. That would be a five plus three. That would be eight damage. This Straight. dog is not looking good at all. But he is still up. Uh, 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 he is yeah, still ready to attack and he is not happy with you at all. How <laughs> me? He is yeah. going to actually try to bite you now, Christopher. It's going to be a seven. Is that hit? Hmm, nope. Okay, that's now going to come to Rupert. Rupert! Rupert! Smack his head! Smack his head! With your mace, smack his head. 
tell me what to do. Of course, I'm gonna smack it with my mace. It's an 18. Yes, that does in fact hit. And pretty much anything you roll with this probably will kill him. That's going to be six damage. All right, Rupert. Tell us, how do you want to do it? How do you want to kill him? You want to smack I'm... him in the head? <laughs> tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to swing my mace down on its neck. It must be quick. It's an animal of course. You have feelings as well. Just because it's evil and trying to eat me. Take my mace and swing it hard down on the right base of the skull on the neck. And so as I you see. do that, it just you hear a crack and the dog just crumples on the ground. You have defeated him. That's about time. Rupert, heal. Heal with what? Do you have like a healing spell? Why do you suddenly think I have all these healing spells? Because you're with because you have spells? I'm not that kind of cleric. I'm the kind of cleric that learned how to survive on the streets. I never do, took I the do time have... to learn anything for healing or anything like that. So, you two have entered into this room. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is where we're going to end this session. And we'll catch it again next time. As we are in this T-shaped hallway that's going to be leading out into who knows what. So thank you everybody for joining us. And we look forward to catching you guys next time on the yep. next episode of The Waiting Horn Tavern.